0: this season on more and more every day. Let's do something together every day to be better oral historians. I don't know about you, but I love a daily task, whether it's a writing prompt to get me focused or a quick icebreaker to start class discussion. I love short, easy challenges. That's why this season's 10 minute or so episodes will feature experts, like-minded colleagues, resources, and things I'm learning along the way, But each episode will also end with a prompt, something you and I can do that day to improve our skills as oral historians. I'm your host, Summer Sherland. Let's do this. What kind of grocery shopper are you? Do you make a list in advance based on what you plan to make for breakfast, lunches and dinners in the coming days? Is your grocery list organized based on the layout of the store so you can limit repeat trips to the same aisles? Or are you more of a wanderer? Do you show up at the grocery store or the farmer's market with kind of a general idea of what you want to buy, but mostly motivated by what seems fresh or interesting that day? Do you then just adjust your meal plan to fit with whatever it is you bought at the store that week? Stick with me here. I know this is a podcast about oral history, so no judgment on how you grocery shop. But in the confines of the work we do, when it comes to cataloging and storing your files, you really want to start with a backwards design. Figuratively, you want to grocery shop with the meal plan in mind, and you want to organize that grocery list as cleanly as possible. So here are a few examples. A while back, I was talking with a colleague about a major grant that she helped to secure at our campus in the 1980s, and she's racking her brain trying to remember, was it finalized in 1983 or 1984, and who were those other three colleges that were awarded the grant? She had most of the information down, but there were several layers to this grant and how it was used and how the funding was facilitated over several years in the 1980s. So as she was talking, I knew I could help solve this question for her. I knew that I had helped digitize a Time Magazine article profiling the four colleges that had received this grant from the Ford Foundation. And all I needed to do was track down that article. It shouldn't take me but a minute, right? But for whatever reason, I could not find the article. I searched by date, by title, even by name of the person I knew was featured in the article itself. And yet it eluded me. I was so frustrated. Where did I put it? Where did I store this article when I digitized it? You know, I ended up finding it days later and here's what happened. I had, or it had, I don't know what happened, but I had not retitled it according to our curation plan. It was just one of those files, you know, that gets sort of labeled with a bunch of numbers according to your computer's automatic saving system. It was in the file it was supposed to be or the folder it was supposed to be in, but it wasn't, it didn't have a name. It just had a bunch of, you know, nonsense numbers. So if I was an unaffiliated researcher, I would have had to come across this article accidentally, like this perfect ripe banana that I happened to grab while wandering through the symbolic produce department. Here's another example. Have you ever been looking for something in your own computer or cloud files that you simply cannot find, but you know it exists? Teachers out there, I know this has happened for a lot of us. You may have spent a couple of hours once trying to track down lecture notes or a specific activity. You know it's an activity, but you can't remember when you taught it, in which lesson. Was it in the Pride and Prejudice unit or was it in the Great Gatsby unit? You're looking everywhere and you can't find the exact document you want. Or here's another one. Over the last year or so, I have been writing a short genealogy book with my sister. We've been working with collaborative documents and shared drives. Because we are in constant communication and there's only two of us, each of us may drop any number of materials into the Google Drive at any time. And a few days ago, she asked me to take a look at the final proof before we sent it to the printer. Well, I scanned the shared drive, scrolled through the documents and PDFs, and could not find it. I had to actually call her to figure out where she put it. And there it was, right where she said it would be, just not given the name I thought it was given. Okay, I can feel your anxiety across time and space rising. Just hearing or relating to these scenarios might make you shudder at the possibility of disorganization. A researcher, especially one internal to the archive, like me, or a regular file user should be able to access materials quickly without wasting too much time searching. If you know what you're looking for, you should be able to find it. How can we save ourselves the agony of a frustrated search? It comes back to your curation and storage plan, and this is really an important part of oral history. Because oral history, you'll remember, is more than an interview. It's also the analyzing, processing, and archiving of an interview. And a crucial part of archiving has to do with how you create your catalog. You want to create materials that are easy to find and recognizable so future researchers can use your work. You know, we can't expect folks to spend too much time searching for something if they don't know where it is or what it is. Think back to a few challenges ago when I asked you to store, save, and back up your interview file. You can go back to that challenge today and the materials you used or start fresh, I think it's useful to see what you did in the past and build on it today. So for today's challenge, I'm going to assume you recorded your interview digitally, meaning you're working with an MP3 or an MP4 file or something similar. If you used an analog source like video, audio tape, or CD to record and save your interview, you should still follow along with these naming strategies, though some parts might not apply. In an article they wrote in 2012, Dean Reberger and Brendan Coates explain... A few minutes of forethought and a little planning can make your files more usable for years to come, and can also make it easier to deposit in archives and libraries, as well as more useful for developing museum exhibits. And Nancy McKay reminds us that how you make your files more usable may depend on where these files will ultimately live. So if you're working with an established archive, repository, or um, library, they will most likely have specific plans in place already. But if you're an independent researcher or a small community group, you may be writing your own curation plans as you go. McKay's book has a full chapter on cataloging, and in it, she provides an excellent answer to the question, what is cataloging? And I invite you to check out Curating Oral Histories, her book, for a great standard approach to cataloging your files for future use. Each archive has their own policies, though most research institutions and libraries will likely follow industry standards and modern versions of what some of us think of today as the card catalog from days of yore. Basically all materials in a library are ordered in some way by title, author, date, subject, location, format, and some sort of ID or classification number. So today I want you to create a plan to store and label your oral history files for your own future use. If you are working with an archive, just reach out to them for instructions on how to name, store, and save, and share your files. And I've linked to several in the show notes. But if you're on your own with this project, think back to my three stories that started the show. You don't want to be scrambling looking for a file, like a consent form, if you know it exists. You don't want to be searching through folders for something that could be somewhere and should be somewhere, but isn't and you don't want to have to field phone calls from team members looking for your files. So the best way to avoid this is to agree on a system and stick to it. Today's challenge is to create a plan for naming and storage and then follow it. I'll refer you first to File Naming in the Digital Age by Dean Reberger and Brandon Coates. Take a look at their article for a brief but useful description of things you do want to do, like, quote, keep file names short, no more than 25 characters, and things you don't want to do, like, quote, avoid weird symbols like asterisk, parentheses, et cetera, when naming your files. Your plan should also include some sort of approach to storage. More than just naming your files, you should organize them. Like the Kenyon College Guide to Oral History, which suggests that you rename your files from however your computer automatically saved them. For example, quote, name of project, underscore, last name of interviewee, first name of interviewee, underscore, part, number, right? Or for example, family history underscore Jane Nolt underscore part one. That's a quote from their from their resource. That file would then permanently live in the Jane Nolt folder. If you're following Duke University's guide, then you would, quote, create a project interview folder on an external hard drive for your interview files. Name the folder using the last and first name of the interviewee and the date of the interview. For example, Smith Jane underscore 2015, February 27, or in the case I already re- read to you, Jane Nolt part one, etc. So you wanna make sure that your files are ordered and your folders are named in a way that is easy to track down in the future. We go about this in a very easy way at the South Phoenix Oral History Project. We have a separate folder for every interview conducted, even if we do multiples with the same person. We simply nestle those as we see fit. All corresponding materials go into the specific folder, so you can organize your folders by date or name. From there, we put all materials, the recording, background research, consent, and future use forms, etc. Some repositories include things like relevant images or correspondence. So that's your challenge today. Think back to that grocery list and resist all urges to take the farmer's market wander approach to this. No, no, Backwards design is best. Create a plan for archiving, naming, and storing your interviews and materials according to your needs. Keep in mind, one, establish a plan that works for you and your research needs. Is it better for you to organize by narrator or date conducted? Two, make special note of how you intend to label every file. An errant underscore here or an extra space there can really throw you off. Three, create guidelines for yourself or with your team, last name first or first name first. Four, establish expectations for what goes into each folder and what is left out. Do you include background research and supplemental materials? Do you organize it by folder or you just lump them all in together under each interview? Once you have your plan in place, rename your files. In some cases, you might want to create a backup copy just in case because renaming can cause issues down the road then store according to your plan and go forth with more oral history work. Good luck to you. I can't wait to hear how it goes. We want to hear from you. Tell us how you did today at SMCC History. Use the hashtag more and more every day on Instagram and Twitter. Our email is gmail.com, and I hope you follow us, write a review or suggest us to a colleague. More and More Every Day is brought to you by the South Phoenix Oral History Project at South Mountain Community College in partnership with the Southwest Oral History Association. Music by Noah Gattel.